When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, leadership coach, theater director, founder of Ignite CSP, and author of Before You Say Anything, Angie Flynn McIver. Hey, what you drink? There is a significant need for real communication right now. There are so many isms and chasms and trust breaches uh, in this world today. And for me, it all stems back to, well, did you talk to the lady? Did you talk to the guy? I mean, did you actually, you know, ask them that question? And usually the question is, well, well, of course not. Why, why, Why would I do that? I'm just so excited about your book because it, it feels like it's finally going to tear down this fear that people have from just having regular conversations. A, a book that impacted me many, many years ago, I don't, even, I don't even know when this book came out, but it's probably one of the books that I quote so often when I'm working with clients or working with groups, and it's Fierce Conversations by, Su- by Susan Scott. She just talks about the fact that, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up one of my favorite quotes from her, but she says, uh, "No single conversation can change change the trajectory of a relationship, but any single conversation can." Mm-hmm. And that just really speaks to the importance of having real conversations. And and I can tell you, I can relate to what goes into writing a book. And there's a vulnerability there. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, detail orientation there. Tell me about the the vulnerability because you know it's one thing to know you know the elements of of effective communication. You can even coach other people on how to be effective. But once you put it in a book. <laughs> That's like a whole nother level of vulnerability. So t- talk yeah. to a little bit, a little bit about uh, how that showed up for you. <laughs> I love this question because I think it showed up for me big time in a couple of different points. Because I had written most of it, as I said, a while ago, it wasn't until I started going back through the manuscript and thinking about sending it out to people to look at that I started to think, oh, this is, so people are going to read this thing. All right, let me, let me spend a little longer with it. Let me spend, and you know, when you say detail oriented, I'm really not a detail person. I am really a big picture person. And I, I try to get other people to do the detail things in my life. But this was a place where I was like, well, I, I'm not sure 
I'm ready for somebody to proofread this. I'm not sure I'm ready for somebody to, to look at this draft. I think I want to spend a little more time on it. I want to polish it a little more. So that was a place of big vulnerability. And then I sent it out to a number of readers that you were one. And I, I am so grateful that you were willing to do that. So the vulnerability showed up a couple places here. So there was the asking, would you be willing to read this book and give me some feedback on it? Just the asking felt vulnerable. And then, oh my gosh, people are going to say things to me about this. I mean, this, I want to hide my head right now just talking about it. It's so scary. <laughs> but it was wonderful. It was such a, a really wonderful experience of getting to share this work with a variety of people and then feeling really supported and buoyed in that process to think, okay, this, is, this can be valuable. This can bring meaning to people. So that vulnerability has shown up a couple of different times. One other time I'll mention is I finished recording the audiobook version of the book last week. And there is no better way to proofread your own work than to read every single word out loud. <laughs> My producer sent me a blooper reel from the recording of the book that fortunately was really funny and lighthearted, but could have definitely led to some other feelings of vulnerability as well. That's why I paid a professional actor to do my audio <laughs> for that very reason. Very good point. Yeah, I, I did not do that part. <laughs> okay, so now I want, I want to run this by you because you are very, very deep into this craft, big into communication. Um, you know, words matter. And I, I still, even today, we are squarely into season two and actually starting to think about season three of this podcast. And I still get people, mainly friends who have known me for a while, who will say, Galen, what's up with the name whiskey, jazz, and leadership? I don't get it. I don't understand what that has to do with anything. And I try to share with them this connection that's happening primarily in my head between the three. And it comes to life for me with jazz. And in my mind, jazz fits leadership because there is no script. There's a guideline, there's a guardrail, there's some things, things you have to do musically, but there's a lot left up to your creativity, your daring, your skill, how you're feeling that day as to how you get to where you need to go. And for me, that's a big part of what leadership feels like. How does that analogy fit to some for someone who words matter? I love everything about what you just said. To me, what I hear when you say that is, I have the tools, right? Like great jazz musicians, they have all the, they know all the things they need to know. They've got it in their hands. They've got it in their minds. They've got it in their hearts and souls to be present and talk about vulnerable, to be present in the moment and feel what comes up and to be able to do that sometimes alone, but sometimes with other people. And for me and my work, when I feel like speakers in particular and th this is also true if you're if you're in a conversation but when i really experience this as a speaker and when i see other speakers is when they know what they want to say they know as you said the the guidepost they know where they want to go they know basically how they want to get there but then they can let go of all of that be present in the moment i call it letting go of the trapeze you're just going to be there the moment is going to catch you 
if you are prepared, if you have the tools, if you are willing to be vulnerable and be present in that moment and the audience will catch you. And that's jazz. The moment will catch you. The music will catch you. Your message will catch you. It's so funny. I never had a single question or thought about the title of your podcast. It makes total sense to me. <laughs> and what you described, that's that's totally different. If, if someone were to listen to what you just said lightly, not very deep at all, they may think that you're saying, oh, just wing it. And that's no, no. not what you're saying at all. <laughs> that's not what you're saying at all. You said preparation like three or four times. And that is just so important about being prepared, being able to be in the space where you can let go just and, and, and know that you've got the tools that's needed. So talk a little bit more, because you're one of the first people uh, that I actually heard the phrase deliberate practice from. Mm. Uh, I think I was aware of the concept, but I never heard those words. So talk a little bit about what that is, how that fits into this conversation. Yeah, I love the phrase deliberate practice. And that's, uh, I don't have the book here. I'm looking like I'm going to see the book. It's in my other office. It's What's his name? Uh, the title of the book is Talent is Overrated. Yes, it's a great book. I can't remember the author's name. And that idea, as we have brought it into our work is, uh, I mean, there's a, an entire section of my book about this, but essentially it's practicing in order to get through practice to become present. It's when you practice deliberately, when you practice with a certain end in mind, when you practice not just to get the practicing over with, but to get better at something, to refine something, to really add to your technique and add to your tools, that's deliberate practice. And again, that shows up in a lot of different ways um, in what I do. But to go back to your musician analogy, one thing that came up in my head is that you know if you think about it, if you've ever been to... Uh, like a junior high band or orchestra concert, okay? So what you're going to see <laughs> is a bunch of kids. And I'm going to go to band because that was my, I played saxophone. What you're going to see is a bunch of kids who've been playing for at most a couple years and they are eyes glued to the sheet music and they've got a conductor and they might be in sync with each other and they might not and they may be blending some some sounds and they may really not. And they're going to hit some clunkers and their fingers are going to be on the wrong keys because they are stuck to that sheet music. And they haven't practiced enough deliberately to get through. I'm going to play the piece to the other side where your jazz musician is not looking at the sheet music. He already knows it, right? He's got it. He knows what he's doing. That's what practice gives you. Practice gives you this, this freedom, again, not to wing it, this freedom to embody this music, this message, this whatever it is, and practices is, is really the only, it's the only path. It's the only uh, way to get there. Oh my gosh. I talk about this a bit as well, quite a bit. In my conversation with Aaron Dickey, who is one of my, actually, he's my, my whiskey godfather. He taught me a lot <laughs> about bourbon and whiskey. But when I had the conversation with him in season one, he surprised me by bringing on Craig Holiday Haynes, who's a legendary jazz drummer. And his father in particular revolutionized how drummers show up in jazz. So pick a person, pick a jazz icon. You can go to Billie Holiday, you can go to Duke Ellington, you just pick a name out of a hat. And either he or his dad played with that 
jazz icon. And one of the things that I continue to think about is that Craig Holiday Haynes said that in most music, they try to have you hear the music. Mm. In jazz, it's important that I have you feel the music. And that just really speaks to what you just said, that mm. it's a feeling that they're trying to embody. And yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna hear the sounds, but it's more the feeling. Boy, that really speaks to what we do as leaders, right? It's, it's one thing for us to say the words, you know, if I, if I hand you a sheet of paper and say, I need you to say this, most of the time people will be able to read what's on the sheet of paper, but does the audience feel what you're trying to communicate? So I love, I love the way you shared that. And then the other piece is whiskey. And for me, actually, you helped me understand the connection because for me, whiskey is about enjoying, mm. just letting go and having fun as opposed to, you know, I, I've been on a number of podcasts and there are several out there that are really, really good. And if you ask them for a list of questions that they're going to ask you, they can absolutely provide the list of questions they're going to ask you and they probably will be in order. Mm -hmm. I can't operate that way. Mm -mm. <laughs> I don't know where this conversation wants to go. So how, how does that, that, that whiskey part of the title fit? with what you do. I've heard a little bit of that connection already, but how does that fit this element of letting go and just kind of enjoying? I think that's the ideal for communication. And most of us have felt this, whether it's in a conversation with somebody we're really close to. You know, one thing I think about a lot when I when I think about those those conversations or those moments of communication that just embody enjoyment there might be a whiskey or another alcoholic beverage involved, but they don't have to be. Right. But it is that sense of freedom. It's that sense of, I'm going to say something and you're going to catch it and you're going to build on it and you're going to throw it back to me. And there's nothing better than that than feeling completely understood, finishing each other's sentences. You almost feel like your mind, mind is being read in the moment. I, I find that to be not communication as, um, as its own goal, but it is the means to that kind of connection and union where you're like, ah, oh, I could do this forever. I could talk all night. Well, hey, you know, hey, look, I, I uh, would love to talk to you about something else that, that I didn't expect that we would have in common, but we do. Yeah. Okay. So you've got, you've got a master's degree in organizational development and leadership from Fielding Graduate University. Mm -hmm. Impressive, amazing, but I want to talk about your undergrad. So okay. Smith College, you know, tell me a little bit about that. It's a women's, all women's college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had my image of what that might mean until my daughter this past year enrolled in Spelman College, which is all women's. And now I'm starting to get a sense for the kind of energy and the urgency that you that you were trying to transmit to me when we were deep in making that decision. What what does a woman's college bring to your work now? Your your understanding of self now. Tell, tell me oh, about gosh. that experience. I have so many things I could say about being at Smith. I will say I chose Smith despite the fact that it was a women's college and I ended up loving it because it was a women's college. Mm. Uh, it was, I mean, this is going to sound so obvious, but 
on that campus at Spelman, everybody doing everything is a woman. So, you know, I was in, I was a theater major. So all the people building sets, all the people hanging the lights, all the, you know, there was no, the master carpenter, the, you know, everything from the, the most intellectual thing to the most physical thing. It was all women, all women in the student government. And that to me, that wasn't a new idea, but to see it and experience it every single day. Uh, my my best friends from Smith, uh, we still see each other at least once a year. And um, one is a mathematician, one is a geophysicist, uh, and one is an art conservator uh, at Harvard. And I, of course, I could have met those people at another school. But what Smith does, uh, I think, really beautifully is build community among women who are doing lots of different things. And I have to think that that informs everything about what I do, about making sure that particularly in the work I do with women and other folks, you know, how do you get your voice in the room? How does your personal history show up? Is it showing up the way you want it to? Is it getting in your way in any way? That's a huge part of my coaching uh, for everybody. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to see a lot of that in my daughter already just in, I mean, she's only been in, been there for a short period of time and I'm starting to see those attributes coming out, which is amazing. So thank you so much for being so <laughs> insistent that we give that a legitimate shot. It's a great university just by itself, but all of the attributes that you talked about, I am absolutely starting to see. And, and and then you know here's here's another uh, again I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit just a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it was like the third time we worked together, and as I said at the beginning of this conversation, there seemed to be just a connection that I I'm like I just met this lady and I feel like I know her <laughs> and I don't know where this is coming from, and then you said well you know who my mom is don't you and I'm like I didn't know that that was part of the I, I didn't Google you, so I'm sorry I didn't do that. <laughs> and then, so because of your mother, you are now the first. You hold the spot as being the first mother-daughter guest on Whiskey Jazz and Leadership. Yay! <laughs> Daughter of my one of my brand new mentors, Miss Jill Flynn, who uh, I'm sure you also saw examples of a strong woman doing amazing things, uh, regardless of what anyone might suggest otherwise. Talk a little bit about what it means to have examples. And this is, a, I guess, kind of a link back to what you were saying about Smith College, mm -hmm. but having examples around you of women doing amazing things. We, we all know intellectually that women are capable of doing amazing things, but to see examples, whether it's in your friends, whether it's in your, your family, uh, what does that do for you? I think I took it for granted somewhat as I was growing up because that's what kids do. Uh, you just think the way you're growing up is the way people grow up. But it was clear to me that my mom, who was in banking, was one of the few women who was really climbing the ladder uh, at the bank where she worked. I had a lot of friends whose mothers didn't work. And so for me, there was a, um, a real pride that she was ambitious, that she was forging new ground. And my dad had really created a, a unique partnership that suited them and their strengths and our family. So that kind of role modeling 
I mean, I cannot possibly overstate how influential that was for me growing up. You know, my mom went back to school. She did, you know, I just watched her do all kinds of stuff. And so it was really normal for me to see, oh, well, she got another promotion and, you know, she's going to, she's going to produce this big meeting or she's going to go on this business trip. That has been hugely influential for me in my work. Yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot about, and what we're talking about now is really just kind of the impact of mentors. And Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about what I call the invisible board of directors. That's a concept straight out of one of my favorite books, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Who are some people who are on your invisible board of directors and and how how do they show up for you? Well, my mom for sure is on my invisible, visible, actual physical board of directors. For me, when I think about, you know, I can even imagine, you know, people sitting around a, a conference table. It's who do I need in these seats who who has expertise, experience, resources, personality traits that are are not my own. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I mentioned earlier that I'm really not a detail person. I am very much, a, I want to get a project from nothing. I want to build something out of nothing. And then I want to get it up to cruising speed, like highway speed. And then I'm I'm kind of done with it. I kind of want to hand it over to somebody else. I'm not interested in getting the car from, to follow this analogy, from like 55 to 70. I don't care about that part. But there are people, thank goodness, who want to do that. They want to take it in the shop and they want to tinker with it and they want to get into those details. They're not, they, they don't want to do the build the airplane. I'm really, my metaphors are all over the place. They don't want to do the build the airplane while it's flying part. They really want to get into the, hey, how do we make this perfect? How do we really polish this? How do we, how do we make this so that this is a seamless routine every time? And that's the part where I'm like, oh my God, I, I, this is like buzzing static in my head. I can't do that part. So, but my husband is great at that. He is the like, get you over the finish line. Doesn't stop until it's done. Meticulous, thorough he is the person you want um, preparing for your camping trip, for example. Like he's great at that. He is he is the whiskey drinker in my house, just right. as an aside. All right, all right. The people on my on my invisible board of directors are those folks. So there's the, you know, so so my husband Charlie is my meticulous, my meticulous person. He also has many other attributes that that put him on the board. And then I have other friends who, you know, have other character traits or resources where I'm like, I now I need to channel my inner this person so that I can think more clearly about how to have this conversation or how to approach this decision. Or, And that's invaluable because I have my own narrative. I have my own set of strengths. I have my own set of not strengths. And I think one of the things I've gotten great at as an adult is, hey, I am not good at that thing. So let me, let me outsource that. Let me crowdsource that. Let me figure out how I'm going to address that. And that's where that board of directors comes in. Oh my gosh. That first, that first step of emotional intelligence is self-awareness, right? To yep. know, Hey, look, we're, we're going to need some heavy hitters and I am <laughs> not that person. I am that's not right. that person. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm glad that we were able to reconnect. Talk a little bit more as we as we head out. I, I want you to talk just a little bit more about this book because, again, I love the title. I love the concept. I love you, but I love the title, right? Before you say anything, 
who did you have in mind as you were writing this book? Who who should who could be listening to this right now and hear their description and think, oh my gosh, she wrote that book for me. She just left out my name. How would you describe the person that you intended to pick up this book? I have a very specific person in mind. And so I will describe this person for you. They are smart. They are really interested in being the best, uh, the best version of themselves of maximizing their strengths and their capabilities. They're ambitious. They're interested in being able to bring their message to the world in any way that they can, whether that's public speaking, conversations, um, leading panels, writing, uh, having a podcast, whatever avenues open up, they want to be able to confidently be able to get their message of change, of influence, of having an effect out to the world. And they're very curious people. And ideally, they're readers. They're not a reader. They can listen because I have the audiobook. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, I, I, um, if you heard yourself in that description, or if you have heard a friend or relative in that description, you owe it to yourself to at least pick up the book and thumb through the pages uh, because Angie knows exactly what she's talking about. She's been there. She studied this, so she knows it academically. But more importantly, she has lived this. You know, and I, I talk in uh, my conversation with uh, Ms. Ann McNeil, I talk about the difference between a tour guide and a travel agent. Both will get you to where you need to need to go, but the tour guide has been there. The tour guide knows the areas where you might get lost and how to get around it, how to navigate. Angie, that that's that's who you are. You are a tour guide when it comes to communication. You're one of the best in the business. And I am just so excited that I have you in my contact list as someone I get to call when I when I'm feeling stuck. So with that, any any final words, any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Yes. So many final thoughts. The thing for me is thinking about practice and it is not anybody's favorite part of anything pretty much, but thinking about practice as the gift you're giving yourself in the present to the you that is going to be presenting in the future. That is my takeaway. Fantastic. Well, with that, uh, let's, let's raise, raise your gin. Yes. (laughs) And uh, let's toast out. This has been another amazing conversation just so appreciative to have you in my life. Cheers. You too. Cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.